What is crackalacking, Ardwinox listeners? I am Damp Valley coming at you once again without my fantabulous co-host, Adam Frommel. We are going to keep our team look-ahead train rolling. Again, these aren't previews. These are look-aheads, which are just, that's fancy. That's fancy. That's what they are. We're going to be doing the Warriors today. Um, I brought back on Sam Esfindiari from the famous, basically, at this point. Definitely mainstream, even if you're not a Warriors fan. Light Years podcast. Follow him on Twitter, at Sam Esfindiari. That's at S-A-M-E-S-F-A-N-D-I-A-R-I. Before we get into our discussion, which covers everything Warriors, including the Ben Simmons talk that everyone seems to be interested in, just want to remind you to please continue rating, reviewing, and subscribing to us wherever you get your podcast, whether you use iTunes or not, though we do ask that you head over there, search Hardware Knox, throw us that five-star rating, and write a review because those help us out a ton. But also make sure you're downloading our episodes and subscribing to us if you use another medium like Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, or Google Podcast, whatever it's called at this point because we are everywhere. If you're only listening to this podcast because it's the Warriors and it's your first time checking us out, please consider subscribing everywhere. We cover the entire league, and we do – a sub mediocre job of it. If I don't want to brag, but it's definitely sub mediocre, maybe even mediocre at points. So please consider giving us a permanent follow and subscription there. Follow us on Twitter at hardwood Knox. Like I said, we are on YouTube, search youtube.com hardwood, not go to youtube.com search hardwood Knox. We'll pop up, subscribe to our channel there. We're on Instagram at hardwood underscore Knox. And we're, we're on TikTok, not really active at the moment, still figuring out the content plan there at hardwood Knox. Without further delay, though, let's get to talking all things Golden State Warriors ahead of this season with the Light Years podcast, Sam Esfindiari. Sam, thank you so much for coming back on the Hardwood Knox podcast to talk about the Warriors with me. First and foremost, though, how the hell are you? I'm good, dude. Somehow everything in the NBA sphere ends up in like a Warriors Civil War online. That's all I'm going to tell you. This is obviously in regards to Ben Simmons. Uh, um, it, has the Zion stuff trickled into Warriors Twitter yet? Has that caused a civil war amongst you guys? <laughs> yeah, I mean, obviously, planning cap space to get Zion. No, um, no I guess <laughs> no one has it. Maybe the Ingram stuff. Every now and then when you hear Ingram murmurings, it's like, hmm, what if they trade for him? But that's about it. Um, that might be a good place to start, too. Um, and I'm probably taking a chance by recording this too early relative to when the season starts with you because they are one of the teams that are like tangentially linked to Ben Simmons, even if you don't consider them their most likely destination. Uh, you and Andy on light years have seemed pretty, I wouldn't say pro if you can get Ben Simmons again, but you really seem open to the idea of Ben Simmons on the Warriors. Where do you sort of land on that stuff with his fit to Golden State and whether they, they should go after him insofar as they even can? So for me, it's a question of cost. I think everyone's overthinking who he is as a player because of the high profile playoff meltdown. This team won titles with lineups that involved Draymond Green and Andre Iguodala together, giving you a combined 12 points. You know, <laughs> they like, I think people on some level overrate the shooting and underrate the ball movement with the Warriors. Like, the Warriors are at their absolute best when they're playing with a breakneck pace and the ball is popping around, and you have no clue where it's going, and the next thing you know, Steph Curry's wide open. Next thing you know, Clay Thompson's wide open. So, yes, Ben Simmons does not shoot outside shots, but Ben Simmons absolutely is meant to play in the Warriors system. He's a phenomenal passer, and... I, I just don't see it being nearly as big of a fit issue as 
people think. Like, yes, if they get stuck in a grinded out half court game, it's gonna it's gonna fall on Steph creating some sort of one on one heroics. That already happens. That's basically always been the case for this team, except for when they had Kevin Durant. And obviously, you know, that was like, well, yes, if you compare Steph with the other best, like, one-on-one scorer in the league, they are unguardable. Like, no, no, no doubt, right? So for me, it's like his value is at a low. You know he fits what you want to do. Yes, you kind of have to then put a premium on everyone else on the roster being a shooter. But, like... I would say it's a lot easier to find another Damian Lee or like maybe develop Moses Moody or get Otto Porter off the scrap heap than it is to find someone who can do all the things Ben Simmons does. And it just seems to me like it it seems like people are overthinking this one. Yes. And I'm not in love with the fit, but I also, I, I like the way you framed it about cost because if the war, even if the Warriors give up their best offer, they just, to me, and I received a lot of pushback for this, I think because you actually quote tweeted the excerpts from when I did a, like a purposely trollable article on why your team's not going to win a title. I don't view the Warriors as having really any secondary shot creation right now. Um, there is Jordan Poole, and he was excellent <laughs> to close the season. The offense was still bad when Jordan Poole played without Steph on the floor. And so it doesn't necessarily, getting Ben Simmons, no, it doesn't necessarily solve that, but it also is not exacerbating anything because it's, that's an issue now. And so I do understand why you think it should come down to cost there. It's also, it gives, it just lets you lean into your strength. The Warriors were good defensively last year, top five. They were not a great defense at every crunch time metric showed when good teams wanted to get a bucket, they could Draymond was phenomenal at kind of getting this team to have a defensive identity, but he can't make Kelly Oubre, James Wiseman, those guys like get a quote unquote stop when you need one. Right. And adding someone like Ben Simmons, like that's a guy you don't have to worry about making the wrong rotation in the final two minutes of a game in theory, like anyone can do it, but like he's less likely to than Wiggins or Oubre or those type of guys. He would also address the fact that like literally only two guys on this team can dribble. So it's just kind of, yeah, he doesn't, he doesn't address the fact that you'd really like someone else who you could count on to kind of get their own shot when things bog down, but he makes you better at basically every other aspect of basketball. Why not? Do you think that the Warriors have anyone? And I think that Jordan Poole is probably the best candidate who can consistently create their own shot when Steph is off the floor to the point where those lineups are actually solvent offensively. I do think Jordan Poole has a legitimate shot at like a six man of the year or kind of, you know, he might not qualify for it. Cause I wouldn't be surprised if he started a ton of games in Clay's absence. Um, but I would not be surprised if he ended up like the second leading scorer on this team this season. Uh, take that for what you want, but I think he can definitely get his own shot. The, the real question I have is like, how are we talking? Can he get his own shot at like the same level that Lou Williams does? that CJ McCollum do uh, because that's a pretty big leap from what we saw last year. What we saw last year is like, this is a good player. This is definitely an NBA guy. There's a role for him in this league. Now the question is, is there a role for him being that secondary shot creator on a team with like aspirations beyond the first round of the playoffs? And that's a question you need a full season to see. I will say this about Jordan Poole. He's younger than people think. I mean, he, I think he's barely 21. He was like a young sophomore when he came out. And 
he is in the Warriors facility more than anyone. Like he's basically, he's one of those guys who tends to live in the gym. So if you're betting on improvement that naturally comes from players, he's a player I would bet on getting better by virtue of just getting older and the amount of work he puts in. I was actually surprised at how well he did sort of finishing around the rim as the season went on. And I was, I'm more concerned moving forward about are those unassisted jumpers that he needs to take at some point, are those going to fall at a higher clip? Because those still sort of hovered around a lower efficiency than you would want from someone who might be playing a lot without Steph Curry and be the, the first or second option within those lineups. Yeah. I mean, he can make those shots. He just hasn't made those shots at the clip you want yet. Right. And so that's kind of, is it a young player who the, the more the game slows down, the more it goes in, you know, 5% higher and that sort of thing. Or is he just kind of this guy who, you know, kind of a heat check guy, like on a random night, he'll go 10 for 15 and win you a game. And the next game, it'll be, you know, two for 12. So I don't know. It's to be seen. I, I do think he's the most interesting of their young players in terms uh, in terms of the guy I think is most likely to quote unquote take a step this year. Clay Thompson. Uh, I heard it framed this way that by the time he returns, it could be a thousand days since he's played in an NBA game, depending on when he returns. Is there, do you have any sense for when you think he'll actually come back this season? Because we know it's not going to be opening night. Is Christmas a realistic target date, a target date? And what just, as the season goes on, when he first comes back, what are realistic expectations for him this year? So on the plus side, Clay's not an explosive athlete. So that bears, uh, bears out positively in terms of like, I mean, you, you always worry about a guy whose game is like based on athleticism. Like if they lose a little of it, are they still good? Clay's not that guy. Uh, in terms of return date, <laughs> excuse me. Um, We've heard Christmas floated. I think it'll be before Christmas. I think sometime between Thanksgiving and Christmas is my guess. And that's with the caveat of heavy minutes limit. I would not be surprised if he was at a 20-minute limit in December. And a gradual increase. I would would not expect to see him play a single back-to-back this season. Um, I think... If you're the Warriors, if you can get 50 games out of him in an average of 25 minutes, which means maybe in the beginning of the season, it's 18 to 20, middle of the season, it's, you know, 23 to 26 and come playoff time, it's like 30. I would consider that a big time win for them, honestly, like uh, because he's going to miss probably the first 15 to 20 games, just period. And then you got to assume another 10 games in there just back-to-back maintenance you know we're playing four games this week and probably don't want to put that on clay so let's have him sit you know wednesday's game against the thunder or whatever it may be right that type of thing so i think we will see him like i said i think it's going to be a gradual thing and i think they are on the cautious side just due to the nature of the two injuries he suffered Mm. uh in terms of his game I think once he shakes the rust off, I don't think we're going to see a huge difference offensively. He's right. going to run off of screens. He's going to shoot the ball. He's going to have moments where you're like, how did he just score 20 points in three minutes? You know, like that type of thing. And he's also going to have the games where, you know, shots aren't falling and it just kind of be the same old clay on that end. Defensively, it'll be a little more interesting. He, he is strong. He is big. So that always helps. But I would, I would be shocked if he's, uh, 
chasing around the Russell Westbrooks of the world anymore. You know, I feel like that's going to be uh, Andrew Wiggins assignment in the, on this team, or you, you see that they're bringing in guys like Avery Bradley, uh, seeing if they have anything left in the tank. You, I could see like, you know, the utility of someone who's like a seasoned point of attack defender, let clay kind of guard one of the weaker wings that doesn't involve him chasing around a guy with hyper athleticism. That would be another argument for trading for Ben Simmons, I guess, is get that yeah. point of attack defender. <laughs> Yeah, I mean the the thing is, I Wiggins actually was a damn good point of attack defender for him. I think where Ben Simmons is significantly better is he can guard more positions. He's significantly better off ball and then just rip and go on the break. Like Wiggins isn't taking the ball off the glass. I mean, he isn't really rebounding, period. But uh, he's taking the ball off the glass and like pushing it in transition and doing all the things that someone who's like as freakish as Ben Simmons does. I know. A lot of what happened with James Wiseman, I think, is on the Warriors coaching staff for not viewing him as just like a play finisher right out of the bat. But given the injury, doesn't have summer league. We don't I don't even know that he has a target return date for this season. And given how well like the Draymond and Steph minutes without James Wiseman last year, they they obliterated everybody during those stretches. Like, what are the expectations for James Wiseman that heading into year two? So for me, it's, I think one of the uh, underrated disappointing aspects of last year was um, the right as the Warriors were changing their offense um, and kind of just, you know, kind of admitting that like, you know, we can't play that same read and react style in totality the way we used to because James Wiseman's not Andrew Bogut, Kelly Oubre is not you know, Kevin Durant or Andre Iguodala, that sort of stuff, right? Like maybe we need to put the ball in kind of our best players' hands more and just let guys who finish plays finish plays, right? I mean, in the early part of the season, you would see dribble handoffs for Wiseman and it'd just be like, why? Like, what what is he displayed to you that he's ready to make? The game's already moving way too fast for him. You want to like make this more complicated and have him make three reads at once? Like that's, that after he played, what was it? Three games in college too? Like yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. I, I mean, I don't think any rookie big man set up for that. Much less one who's uh, quote, you know a little behind the curve in terms of experience, right? So one of the disappointing things was right as they were changing it up, he was starting to. Um, I don't want to say breakout, but just kind of showing some of that potential on a more consistent basis as a rim runner, as a catch and shoot guy, some of the stuff he can do. And then boom, you know, he kind of tears his meniscus. So what I would consider successful for him is he's going to come back. He's going to play with the second unit, um, maybe run more pick and roll with Jordan Poole. Maybe that could be a nice um, kind of staple to run your second unit. Um, Jordan Poole, obviously can score the ball and is a pretty good ball handler. And James Wiseman is just, it's just a freak physically. There's no way around that. Like he can, he, he, for all the negative things we say about him and all the things he can't do. I mean, he averaged 11 points in like 20 minutes a game. Like right. he just walks into 10 points just by virtue of being bigger, faster than everyone on the court. Right. Like he is, I think there's only one player I saw who's, like I felt like was bigger than him all season. That was Rudy Gobert. Like he's, he was bigger than Deandre. He's bigger than, and he moves like a guard. So just by virtue of that, he doesn't even need to be, you know, that good to be good. Right. (laughs) That type of thing. Um, The the thing I really want to see with him is I want to see if that three point shot gets a little more consistent because he showed he could make it. 
he also showed that, you know, he's a young big man, so it's anything but consistent. I think if that three-point shot becomes consistent, then you really have something with him because he's going to be able to get his points rim running the way guys like Capella and um, uh, who am I thinking of? You know, like DeAndre Jordan, like those guys are rim runners. Like he's going to get those. But if you can get that with the ability to kind of pick and pop and do some other stuff, now you got something interesting. Do you have hope for him to have better than Nerland's Noel level hands? Uh, yes, but that's only because he's played like a half a season in the NBA. Uh, I'm not ready to call it what it is at this point. You know, if this is Nerland's Noel is what year six, year seven, something like that. Yeah, he's probably like closer, it, definitely closer to a decade than not. It, at that point, it's like it is what it is, right? At this point, I'm going to be like, let the game slow down for him and then let's see what happens if if the game slows down for Wiseman and he becomes like a defensive force and doing other things really well and he's still bobbling every pass then I'm ready to be like all right his those are just his hands you know that's just the way it is but at this point like every criticism or every negative thing I see on him on the court is it looks like the guy who uh, is playing with guys who are just way more experienced than him and everything's moving too fast is there a path and if he's going to come off the bench when he's healthy, it does seem like there will be some organic staggering of him and Draymond then. What's the path? Should we, one, expect that to be the staple as they're going to try and stagger them? And two, what's the path to those two functioning at a high level together on the court? The easy answer is Wiseman or Draymond, but realistically Wiseman, <laughs> becoming an outside threat, right? Yeah. <laughs> but the more, uh, but the uh, more honest answer is on the defensive end. Wiseman looked like a rookie on defense last year. Um, I mean, there's when you compare him to Looney, there's no reason Looney should be a better defender than him. Slower, smaller, uh, has had as many hip surgeries as all of our grandparents combined. You know, there's no reason for like Looney to be a good, but Looney knows what to do. He's smart. He makes the right rotation. Mm -hmm. He just doesn't make mistakes. I think if Wiseman just if the game slows down for him defensively, I think the Warriors would be willing to live with the fact that you're going to get at least one of those awkward Draymond trying to throw a lob when everyone knows he's trying to throw a lob and it ends up in a turnover play, you know, like those are, those are incredibly frustrating because it's like Draymond's driving. Everyone knows he has zero interest in a layup. You see Wiseman standing. It becomes the easiest decision for a defense. Right. So, um, but anyway, uh, back to your point. I really do think uh, if Wiseman gets up to speed defensively, they'll have him on the court because uh, he is huge. You know, having a shot blocker would be nice. Do you have any, looking at their other youngsters, any early impressions of the way Jonathan Kaminga or Moses Moody will fit? And I think I fall on Kaminga is clearly more important long term, but Moody seems like he's the best chance of helping what this team wants to do now. Do you think either, both, one of them will get a real crack at playing time with the with the big league club? I 100% agree with that. Um, so I was down at Summer League, and, like, Kuminga's potential is just – it's, like, eye-popping. Like, at least once a game, if not, like, three times a game, you're, like, he does something that's in, like, the Kawhi, you know, LeBron, like, whatever type of, like – Wow. But you watch him in total. You're like, yeah, it's going to be quite a few years before we're talking about him in that sphere of player. Right. So right. if ever, but um, 
So I would be surprised if Kuminga um, got consistent run with the big club. Like, I think he's going to be up and down with Santa Cruz. If there's a blowout, he might get 15, 20 minutes. Maybe, you know, maybe if they're if they're playing the Houston Rockets and Houston is in a tailspin, they'll make a point to get Kuminga 20 minutes in that game. We'll see him get kind of like those type of minutes. But like when they're playing the Dallas Mavericks, uh, a team who's probably on the same level as them and a game they have to have, Kuminga will probably be like, you know, staple to the bench, right? Because he's a long-term project. Very talented, but long-term project. Moody, it just feels like by virtue of knowing who he is, there's a pathway to him getting on the on the court. Um, Especially before Clay gets back, right? Yeah, exactly. I mean, there's not a team in the NBA who can't use an extra 3 and D guy, right? <laughs> and who knows, you know, if NBA game speed will, you know, mess up Moody's shot and it takes him like, you know, a year for him to get used to it and everything. But if he can hit shots, he's displayed, in my opinion, enough IQ to at least be a team defender. And if if you can count on him to shoot 38 to 40% from three and at least make the right rotation, he's going to find minutes. Like there's always going to be minutes to throw a guy like that, you know, in the rotation, even if it's only for eight to 10 minutes or it's 20 minutes on a given night. Because like you said, without Clay, I think Jordan Poole is going to get the most minutes at shooting guard. Um, there's obviously Damian Lee who knows how to play in the warrior system and everything. And there's not, a, there's not a lot else after that. So someone's got to play those minutes. I initially thought the warriors got really good mileage out of their, their vet minimums. And I, I still think they do, but then it sort of felt like there was at least a section of people that were just ignoring how bad Bielitsa was last year. Maybe that's because he was out of shape. Didn't get a chance to play in Sacramento. How Otto Porter has been banged up. Hasn't played the same in basically two years. Iguodala is like 63 years old or whatever he is right now. Um, do you think either of those guys ends up being really impactful? And who do you bill as sort of the, the most important offseason signing among those three? Uh, Otto needs to be the most important because he has the highest relative upside. Um, mm. Andre Iguodala, you know, can do no wrong to Warrior fans. But, like, he's going to turn 38 in January. So – while I'm sure he'll have a random like throwback performance here or there, like I'm not counting on it. Otto Porter is only 28 years old. Obviously the health stuff is super scary, uh, but he wouldn't be the first guy who, you know, went through a little bit of a rough patch with health and then found himself uh, as like a useful player in a smaller role on another team. Um, I don't want to compare him to Batum and like previously Boris Diaw because their situations were different, but in some ways it does feel like that where you're like, they go to Charlotte, you know, they, they take the big contract. They're clearly not guys who are meant to be like the first player, the best player on a team. Mm -hmm. uh, they get out of shape, weird things happen. They end up largely disliked. They end up on a vet minimum on a team who just wants them to play the role that they're suited for. And all of a sudden they're back to being like everyone's favorite, you know, hipster role player. Right. So I think there's a pathway for Otto to be that guy, but it's a little scary with the health, like with the back stuff. And it was, is it degenerate hip or something? something He's had like a whole, that? ever since like he was right before he got traded from Washington and then in Chicago, just felt like he had a bunch of different issues that were just. And, and I do wonder how much of it's like big contract at that point, Chicago wanted him to be one of their two best players. Um, 
just something he's never displayed at any level. Like that, that's not who he is. He's, Mm -hmm. he's the guy who like is a perfect fit around your good players. He's not the, the, you know, guy you build around. Right. Um, Maybe going to the Warriors playing 20 minutes a game off the bench where his job is more in the line of what he did in Washington, which got him the big contract, you know, just kind of spot up, defend, rebound, that sort of stuff. Um, if they can get that, I think it would be huge. I do think one big tell in getting both Bielitsa and Otto is they recognize the fact that they desperately need front court shooting. Like, I don't think Otto Porter is going to play the small forward for them. I think mm-hmm. you're going to see Otto Porter either as Draymond's backup or next to Draymond in small ball lineups. He's, and then Bielitsa is obviously just going to play the five for the Warriors, two of the better shooters in the NBA over six eight six nine period Mm -hmm. so i think just by virtue of that they're going to provide some value because the warriors just want to open up the court more like until they add more talent and stuff like just space the sucker out and you know you space it out around steph you tend to get uh supernova steph and supernova steph is generally uh it gives you a puncher's chance against anyone in the league I can't tell if this question is just clouded by my actual love of Juan Toscano Anderson, but looking at the Wiseman injury, then bringing in Otto Porter Jr., it does seem like this team, at least right now to start the year, is more set up and maybe more willing than in years past to lean on Draymond at the five. Do you think that's more of a staple during the regular season than we've seen in years past? It's hard not to take that. Um as the takeaway because they don't have centers on the roster. Like we know Steve Kerr loves Looney and he is a very productive role player for what he does, but like his minutes cap at 20, you know, he just doesn't uh, one. I just don't think it's possible to like generate a good enough offense with Looney playing 35 minutes, but like two, I, he, I don't think his body would allow him to play that much anyway. Um, Bielitsa is really the only other big man that's opening the season. So yeah, they're going to go small. They know small works. Um, I've had the same questions. It's like, I would love them to play small all the time, but I also like at some level have to recognize Draymond Green's a human who is not immune to like physical, you know, (laughs) abuse that he's going to have to take. Like it's one thing to go small in the playoffs. It's another to like Tuesday, you're playing Gobert Wednesday, you're playing, uh, uh, Jokic Friday, you fly down to LA and you get a bang with like AD and DeAndre Jordan. Like that, that starts, you know, wearing, wearing you down. Yeah. I mean, look, the, the minutes that Dre was at the five with JTA at the four last year, the Warriors were plus 13.4 points per hundred possessions. And maybe I'm oversimplifying it there, but I've also kind of thought, not that they view this as the last to rob, but you're sort of getting to the point where it's like, okay, it's pointless to conserve Draymond because the only way you're going to reopen your title windows is if you get Pete Draymond and probably lean on him as much as possible. I think that sort of added to why I think like maybe you should just maybe not go all in. You still have Wiseman and you still have Looney. And like you said, they have Belitza, but it just feels like that should be their, their go-to. I do think that they, um, the bigs they signed are at minimum, the roster constructed is to play fast. Like Wiseman for all his rookiness has no issue going up and down the court. Right. Bielitsa with his shooting definitely wants to be kind of a transition player, right? Um, Looney, I mean, he knows how to play the Warriors style, not fast, but he knows how to play. And then everyone else they signed fits into this system. So uh, I do agree with you. I, like, I'm excited to see, I could see them using a 
Juan Toscano Anderson, Otto Porter, Draymond front court. Oh, yeah. Who's the three? Who's the four? Who's the five? Doesn't matter. I don't know. Right. But I know those are guys who are going to force it in transition. And when they get in transition, it's kind of scary for the other team, right? Like, th- th- this isn't going to be a great half-court team. It's just not. Like, they don't have they don't have Jokic to play through in the post. You know, they don't have Kevin Durant to throw to on the elbow, right? But if they can turn you around in transition, I don't think anyone wants to be in an up-and-down game with a Steph Curry team. Like, in general, it's just never uh, a good thing, right? So, yeah. Um, I do agree with you. They're leaning on it more. And I do think actually to, to fully answer your question, I, I think they think Wiseman will probably miss a couple weeks, not a couple months. If they really thought Wiseman was going to be out until February, they probably would have signed another big man. But if they're talking about, all right, Wiseman's going to miss the first five to seven games. So we have to play small for the first two weeks of the season. They're like, so be it. Cause when Wiseman comes back, they have enough big men to not have to play small by necessity. Like they, they then have enough guys where it's, they go small for a purpose as opposed to no, literally Draymond's the only center we have. And it's, it might be a way to just help stay afloat in the beginning of the year because yeah. you kind of get into this a little bit of the win total, but between when clay comes back and whatever learning curve or grace period he needs and ditto with Wiseman, this could be a team that really starts off the season more slowly. And so it might make sense to just, if that's the most effective lineup and it's just going to tax Draymond a little bit more, if you want to keep pace in the West, it probably makes sense to go to that again early on so that you're not trying to come back from too much of a hole. Yeah. Um, I agree with you. I mean, that part of my issues with last year, like, okay, so uh, Andy and I on light years, developed a little bit of reputation for being a little overly negative in the early part of last year. And I, I stand by everything we said. I was like, do you want us to like, just get on there and just wax poetic about Andrew Wiggins and like, while they lose games, like, I'm not going to lie. Um, part of the reason they were frustrated to me in the last year is I felt like they left games on the table because they were coaching the team as if it was the 2016 Warriors or 2018 Warriors, where you're really just more concerned about the process because you know you got the guys to compete when you get to the playoffs. Whereas last year's team really was just kind of a 500 team, in my opinion. It's kind of like those are the type of teams a coach like Rick Carlisle gets you an extra five wins on right? Like where you're in these like close games and like those little moves might make the difference. Right. Um, and it felt like, you know, th- the way the Warriors coached it last year was like a lot of like, let's see what we have. It's like, I know what you have, what you have is a team that needs you to be a more active coach and less like of the hands off, like Zen stuff. So I do agree with your, this is a really roundabout way of saying, Draymond at the five early kind of having more purpose with what they want to do could really help them generate some early wins so that they don't enter springtime next year needing to go 15 of 20 just to like get the eight seed. Right. Yeah. I've sort of blocked Steph's age out of my mind. Um, I think he's going to go down as one of the 10. So is he, by the way, (laughs) I think he's going to go down as one of the 10 best basketball players of all time. And it's part of why I think I've been more critical of how, what the Warriors have done over the past couple of years than maybe I normally would have in their situation because mm-hmm. that type of player, it has to me, you optimize everything around him, his prime. Is it fair though, he's, his age 33 season, turns 34 in March, to expect him to be just as ridiculous 
as he was last season, because there's a case for me that that was the single best year of his career, even though that wasn't the single best Warriors team that he was on. One, I think he was better last year than he was in 2016. And numbers, well, the numbers are ridiculous for both. So (laughs) (laughs) um, I just think he had a firmer grasp of what he wanted to do back when the Warriors kind of rose up in 15, 16, like he was just like something no one had ever seen with explosiveness but you could still kind of frustrate him with like little nuanced things, some, some trapping, some pressure. Uh, he wasn't as strong then either. Like if you notice this year, like he's just, he's, he's stronger guys can't be as physical with him and effective as much. He's seen every defense known to man. And then like 10 ones that were created just for him. So there's just like this level of like mental mastery that he has. Like he knows how he wants to attack every defense at this point. Um, I see no reason why he can't do this for like three more years. Honestly, like the way the guy works out and the type of athleticism he has, which is more like endurance based aren't necessarily things that decline as fastly as like fast twitch explosion. The real concern is obviously um, the wear and tear factor. And that's what kind of scares me. It's like as much as, you know, we, we love Steph's game, but we can like, you know, wax poetic about him being one of the greatest of all times. The biggest knock you have on him is he hasn't been the iron man that other greats are, you know, like LeBron James, I don't think had an injury for like 18 years. Um, Michael Jordan never missed games. You know, like we can keep going down the line. Like those guys were like, you pencil them in for whatever. They're going to be healthy. Steph kind of good to miss 15 games a year, you know, and it's never that serious but it's always like an ankle, a knee, a little like tweak here or there. Um, And that's where the Warriors not being a little more active and kind of more all in scares me because Steph can average 35 a game, but will his body allow him to do it for 82 games? That's where where I always get a little worried. Like, or is it going to be one of those things where like, by virtue of needing to take 25 shots and the opposing team knowing he needs to take 25 shots, he's just constantly in and out of the lineup with little nagging stuff because he has defensive attention that a player at, you know, age 33, 34 shouldn't have on them. Let's say this team is fully healthy. What needs to be, or do you expect to be their go-to crunch time lineup? Assuming the roster stays the way it is, their best lineup would be Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, um, Wiggins, Otto Porter, and Draymond. So it's that small ball lineup, but with your biggest wing who can both space the floor and will actually rebound his position. The two biggest weaknesses the Warriors had um, last year were uh, rebounding and shots at the rim. They were bottom five in rebounding and bottom 10 in shots at the rim. I don't see anyone on this roster who's going to like dominate the paint the way like Giannis or anyone does. Um, So spacing the floor out is one way to generate just easier looks at the rim. Um, And then secondarily, you know, playing small is their best option. But as much as uh, we love like Juan Scott Anderson, those guys like they were just giving up rebounds. Someone like Otto Porter has been above average for a wing rebounding. And he just has the highest upside of all those guys. I I think that's probably their best lineup. I would also throw in 
sprinkle Jordan Poole in to closing lineups in place of Wiggins, maybe in place of Otto, maybe um, that's hyper small, but good luck guarding Steph Poole clay. Yeah. So, yeah, I think the pool stuff makes sense. I might be more inclined to put, I think it depends on what auto Porter's is giving you offensively. And I know Juan Toscano Anderson only made or shot like it was very low volume on three, but if he's shooting better on threes and you could trust him to move the ball more than auto Porter, right. I'd probably be okay with him over, over um, auto in those situations. I mean, JT is going to play a lot just because of, like you said, he, I mean, he's, he's like a mini Draymond Iguodala type of player for them. Like, you know, it's a, he's not running a pick and roll, but he's always finding the open shooter. Uh, he'll stick an open shot. He, the defense is obviously there. He's just very, very high IQ player. Like literally Kelly Oubre is much more talented than him, but by subbing in JTA for Oubre, Steph went from 30 points a game to 40 points a game, purely because once Scott Anderson takes a split second to say, instead of shooting this, where's Steph Curry? And then passes him the ball. Like that's literally the difference that happened when Ubre got injured. Is there, and I love asking people this question because I like just thinking about these. Is there a quirky offbeat out of left field lineup you would like to see the the Warriors try this season? Maybe even one that they probably wouldn't try, but you would just love to see them roll out. I like that question. All right. Give me um give me Steph, Poole, JTA, Otto Porter. And Draymond. God, I guess I really like Otto Porter. Um, I want to, I like the idea of like the three multi-positional forwards, um, two of whom are pretty good passers, one of whom's a really good shooter. And then just Steph Pool lineups, not only are they fun, they were effective. They were plus 17.9 per hundred possessions when those two guys were on the floor. Part of that's just like literally just put someone who can create a shot next to Steph and profit because no one's committing extra bodies to him because they're putting their extra bodies on Steph. Um, I know Steph loved playing with Jordan Poole for that reason because he gets tired of the fact that like it's Steph Curry and four offensive linemen, you know, kind of type of setup sometimes out there. Um, that's kind of the one I would like. I don't know if you consider a Steph lineup offbeat because he's a staple of everything, but like those type of weird Steph Poole combos are kind of where I'm at. I really thought about, and I don't think they would try this, at least not on purpose, unless they were forced to, but Steph, Clay, Draymond with JTA and then Kaminga as well. And so it's Steph surrounded by all these bigger dudes. I don't really know what it looks like, what the rebounding specifically ends up looking like in that lineup. Definitely the, maybe the pressure on the rims a concern there too, but I'm, I want weirdness, especially when you're a team. I know they're trying to win, but you know, they like have some younger guys like, put Kaminga out there with all these different veterans and guys you trust with Clay Dre and Steph and kind of see what happens. Yeah, I definitely, I like it. Um, I guess I just have Kaminga on the afterburner this year. And like, I say this as someone who I'm very intrigued by him. He, he's a wing who can absolutely handle the ball and make some passes and who wants to dunk on everyone. So he's fun to watch. Like he just is, I've just kind of, I've mentally put him in Santa Cruz for half the year. So I'm not even counting him as a guy who's going to play that much. As we record this golden state's current win total uh, over under is 47.5. Are you taking the over the under on that? And where do you expect to see them sort of just fall within that Western conference fray? I think it's a good line. I think if Steph plays 72, if, if Steph misses 10 or less games, 
and we get that 50 number out of clay that I brought up earlier, I think they get the over. Um, but I think if Steph misses more than eight to 10 games and they have to be more conservative with clay for whatever reason, we know how re-aggravation works. I think they're under, I think it's honestly that simple for them. Um, all the other pieces, they added pieces which fit in the context of like the traditional Warriors core three that we know. Uh, and I think they'll be able to generate wins because they have an idea of how they want to play again. Um, but everything comes back to kind of what you're getting out of the two splash bros, right? Like it's, it's, it's that simple. This isn't a, this is a team who can, okay, Steph is going to miss this week with like a bruise. Let's go one and two. So we don't like, you know, they right. can do that, but like Steph's going to miss a month. Might go one and 10, you know, like they, they need, they, they can get away with Steph sitting games here and there and getting like the cumulative strength and numbers, catch a team off guard because they're not taking you serious because Steph Curry is not playing effect, but like they'll go into some serious free fall if he misses extended minutes, extended and games. I, and I guess the final thing that would go into that is just, is there a chance that they make that consolidation move? And I don't really know what to expect. I'm more inclined to go with the under with them because I don't expect that type of move. I know a lot of it's dependent on the star trade market, but even if it sort of manifests like there is a star trade market, I don't know that the Warriors will be that gung-ho about going about it. We really should open on this one. Uh, <laughs> so I have, I have a lot of thoughts on this one. Um, I do think the shorter Wiggins contract gets and it expires next year, the easier it becomes for them to make a trade. They, in some ways, remind me of the Boston Celtics. Remember when, uh, you know, Ainge gets Tatum and Brown and has like the war chest of picks and everyone's just assuming they're going to build this juggernaut. And they just never pull off the trade because they always overvalue their own stuff. Like they think, they think offering a pick and something is fair. The opposing team's like, no, nah, give us everything. You know, right, right. that's kind of, that's kind of where the Warriors are at, where I think they'd be more open to moving one of Wiseman or Kuminga, but they're not putting them all together unless it's for like Giannis and right. guys like Giannis, or even if I want to take it down a tier, you know, to like an Embiid, like clear superstar caliber players, like, they're not available. So what we end up talking about is the Ben Simmons, Pascal Siakams of the world who are objectively good players who will improve you where the Warriors feel like it's fair for them to offer only one of those guys and maybe a future pick. But Daryl Morey is being like, uh, no, I want everything. Right. right. So um, if something changes on that front, I could see them making a move, but based off of everything Joe Lacob says, and he, he apparently loves off to the record or on the record uh, all all the records <laughs> um uh based on that I, i'm getting the impression that it's less likely to sam thank you so much for coming on this was great as usual you're able just to very quickly tell our listeners where they can find you and the the light years podcast one of the best team podcasts out there if not the best Appreciate you, Dan. Anytime. Have me on during the season. You can check me out uh, on the Light Years podcast. You can find it at Apple, Spotify, anywhere you get your pods. Uh, I'll talk to you later, man. All right. Take care, man. Thanks again.